This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Classic View from the Boundary on BBC Sounds. Hello, Jonathan Agnew here for another Classic View from the Boundary. The date is August the 10th, 1991, and West Indies are playing England at the Oval. The tourists are still a great force, but perhaps the likes of Richard and Haynes are just past their best. This is a game that lives long in their memory for many reasons. Phil Tufnell's six wickets in the first innings, Robin Smith's hundred, and yes, a certain broadcasting mishap involving me and Brian Johnston. More on that in due course. On the Saturday of the test, we had a real treat as Lawrence of Arabia star Peter O'Toole paid a visit for one of the most memorable views we've had. With wickets tumbling in the West Indies' first innings, O'Toole had to rush to South London to get to the ground. Brian Johnston was asking the questions, but first, here's Peter O'Toole on the special place that our game holds in his heart. I'm often asked why cricket means so much to me. Uh, And apart from me the reasons that it appeals to multitudes of people and has appealed to multitudes of people over the hundreds of years. It's this high drama. Yeah. Tufnell comes on, takes a wicket, Botham returns, takes a wicket, catches, Viv Richards, a great king, delays his entrance, delays and delays yeah. and delays, finally comes on <laughs> with a couple of balls to play before lunch to a standing ovation. And, of course, could have been out first ball. Yeah. Have you ever had an ovation as good as that? No, it, it no, lasted. No. <laughs> I'm sure you have when you've taken a curtain call, but that one lasted the length of the time he took the wicket, about uh, two, two minutes or so. And I believe he was deeply moved. And who wouldn't be? Well, Bradman said he wouldn't be, because when I asked him whether he had tears in his eyes when there were three chairs when he went out, he said, no, 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 I wasn't. But I bet he was, really. I saw Bradman play at Headingley in 48, and I think he scored 30, 32, 33 or something, having promised to score a century in the evening before. And he was out um, quite early to a bowler whose name I forgot. And as he walked back to the the pavilion, there were no tears. He looked extraordinarily grumpy, (laughs) very, very thoughtful with that huge cap and walking very, very slowly indeed. That baggy green cap. This was a Bramall Lane, presumably? No, it was a Headingley. At Headingley, was it, yeah. Um, Before we go on talking about cricket, I've got to ask you two questions. Have you brought your bagpipes? (laughs) Because sometimes we have a little musical interlude on the... the, the, (laughs) We've, we've had all sorts of things. David Essex and I have sung underneath the arches. And the other thing, I'm colourblind, but I gather those are green socks. They are green socks. Now, why do you always wear green socks? Because my daddy was very, very superstitious, and he wouldn't allow me to wear anything green on a racetrack. So my way of being disobedient was to wear something green, which he couldn't see, which were under my tracks. He, he was not unconnected with the bookmaking business, is that right? He was not unconnected with the bookmaking business. He was, yes, plugged in. He was a bookie. Yeah. I mean, were you a runner for him and all that? I was a runner, but not exactly uh, an official. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the cricket, which is the object of the exercise. I mean, when did you first start playing? Did you play in Ireland as a boy? No, no, I was brought up in England. Despite my uh, Irish name and nationality, I'm, I'm, I was uh, reared in England and reared in the north of England. So cricket for me began... In Yorkshire. Good place to start. And I remember again uh, memories. The first real turn-on for cricket for me was um, (laughs) being taken to the new cinema over and over and over again to watch Hutton's 364 here. Yeah. Um, In what, 
1938. Yeah. I was yeah. six. Mm. And the, the great joy and the cheers that, 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 in the cinema when he popped it in, very clear to me. And then, in, towards the end of the war, do you know Roundhay Park or of Roundhay Park? I, I do. I, I went there when we had a test match last year. They had a sort of fate there. I went. Yeah. Well, I was there last Sunday, just to have a little wander it, it, around. It's a marvellous place. And towards the end of the war, Stelleri Constantine and Arthur Wood... Right, great wicketkeeper. They put together uh, Sunday sides. And in those days, it was the Australian overseas touring team. Something as complicated yeah. as that. And we little boys could be chosen as ball boys to stand on the boundary. And one of my great moments, in fact, my greatest moment still in cricket was, even though I wasn't playing, I was standing at, uh, was Constantine left-handed? No, right-handed. Right-handed. Standing at long mid-off. Yeah. And uh, he, he whacked the ball. He scored 50 in 18 uh, deliveries. <laughs> and he whacked the ball <laughs> over the ropes, and it fell into my hands. Oh, lovely. And I remember this huge man just beaming and waving his bat... It was, it was a lovely moment. You sound just like the Betty one. Do you know how many deliveries he had? I mean, were you that keen? Did you keep a score? In those days, yes, of Did course. Did you? Yeah. And then now what about the playing talent? You see, if you go to the Lords in the winter in the indoor school, you can be seen there. True. Well, I, like, I love to turn up and play. I love to be with cricketers. Um, I'm not any good anymore. Uh, my hope, wish nowadays is to be involved in a stand. If I can plug up one end and let somebody else do the scoring and occasionally pop in a little single and charge up and down the wicket. Have you got the Trevor Bailey forward defence? Yes, I've got that. (laughs) (laughs) Much the amusement of all my chums. Um, When you say play, it is an overstatement. What I do is creak out to the square and hope to plonk a little timber on the ball. I hope to turn my own arm over and get a maiden or perhaps a wicket. What, leg tweakers or anything? Well, I have a delivery which is really, really special. It does absolutely nothing. Well, that's very good. From leaving the hand to pitching, nothing at all. This confuses many batsmen. But you do go into the indoor school. I mean, who do you go and play with there? In, uh, you go once a week, roughly. Well, I usually go with young chums who's delighted yeah. to try and knock my head off. There's <laughs> one sitting exactly behind me right now. <laughs> they love it. They love to fling down leather and try and take my head off. But I saw someone who I know who was, um, remember, I think of Bronsbury, and he says that every Friday you go and coach the boys there. Is that right? Well, that's a delight for me. I like, um, again, I'm with my standard, under nines. Um, I, I love to, to um, less coach than encourage young boys. I mean, do you give them a demonstration of your strokes? No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the bowling machine and the umpire. And, uh, <laughs> this is great, isn't it? Because we've got to, get, let, we've got to I, get at the young, haven't we? I, well, this is why Bronsbury is such an extraordinary club. If you go there Friday night, it's one of those delightful sights in cricket. The entire pitch is filled with little boys. The nets are filled with something like a hundred little things in white there and it is a lovely sight it's great credit to the club that they get them there they're doing very well aren't they Bronsbury do that very well indeed and my job is not to coach I don't want to say look get your foot to the ball get over it I don't want to I like just to cheer them up and encourage them and run and keep their eye on the ball all those things I'm sorry though, for cricket is in the hands of the young do you play with um, odd sort of actors and people still? Do you turn out for Lord's Taverners or...? For well, I play for a club called Lazarusian. Ah. 
I don't really know that one. Well, you, you may. You may. We're, we're not doing too badly. <laughs> what sort of people do you play? <laughs> well, we played some high-class stuff. We played yeah. Northampton, Northamptonshire professional coaches, and we, we drew with them. Have we won anything yet? Yeah, uh, yes, we won against Sandbatch. Won against who? Sandbatch. Oh, really? First. And where does Tool, uh, Tool bat, though? He opens. You go in first? Yes. Against all the hostile, fast-bowling? Against fast all the hostile stuff, yeah. And what do you look like in a helmet? Well, I, we were playing in Northamptonshire, and a distinguished pro was in the other side, and he insisted that we all wear helmets because the, the pitch was bouncing and taking spin. Good gracious. So I went in the pavilion, and I was given a helmet, and I couldn't find my way out of the pavilion. <laughs> I stumbled around, and I couldn't see where the door was, and I felt, and I'm sure I looked like a Dalek. <laughs> So I took it off. Yeah. I mean, how people look through that visa. No, I don't. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And you can't hear either. You can't hear the chap calling for a run or anything. It's like... <laughs> and what about, what about the bowling, then? Do you, do you get any wickets? Sometimes I get a wicket or two. I get a few maidens. For me, a one run now is what six runs meant when I was a boy. Mm. One wicket now means a five-wicket haul. Mm. If I do a piece of decent fielding, I'm very happy. If I take a catch, I'm delirious. And as long as I don't become a passenger with the team, I'll, I'll keep on playing. Are you good at sprinting around the boundary? Oh, that's a great sight. I'm greatly <laughs> encouraged by my team. I say, go on, go on, off he goes, off he goes, and I puff and pant. And <laughs> well, this encouragement, you see, it's, it's spread to county cricket now. Everybody claps the whole time. Have you noticed? They clap before the chap bowls. They clap if it misses the stumps by 10 feet. And it's a great thing. They say it's, it inspires people. Does it inspire you if everybody claps you? Yes. Well, yes, it wouldn't deter <laughs> me. It wouldn't put me off. Um, I think we last met in the box watching, was it the Test match? Was it uh, the Lords. Uh, do, you, do you go quite a bit? Well, well this, this summer I'm, I'm watching as much cricket as I possibly can. And I always do watch as much cricket as I possibly can. Wherever I go in the world, it'll be at the West Indies or Australia. I was in Australia at Christmas watching. Yeah. Which brings me to David Gower. Right. We've um, I've had long discussions with lots of uh, interested people about David Gower, and we've decided on a solution. <laughs> David will go to live in the West Indies until he qualifies as a resident, <laughs> and then he will play for the West Indies <laughs> and yeah, come yeah. back here at the age of 37 and tonk everybody all around I think he has to yeah, live yeah. there a bit longer, but after you've played for one country, you probably have to live for about ten years. But well, uh, he'd be really? all right at 50, wouldn't he? Maybe they could alter the rules a little in, in, in the West Indies. Mm -hmm. 37, he could come back. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously a hero of yours. I, we'd have loved to have seen him playing here. Uh, who, who are the past heroes you've had? I mean, in the past, when you were a boy, you've mentioned Hutton and things. Well, Hutton was my god until along came a tall, handsome man called Flying Officer Miller. Ah, K.R. Miller. And to this day, he's my, 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 my god, my he, cricketing god. He's probably god. still over here. He, he spends most of the summer here. Have you seen him this summer? No, I've not, but I met him in, in Sydney about a decade ago, and we had a long, long chat about the old days. He's a marvellous telephoner. If he knew your birthday, he'd ring you wherever it was from Sydney. Marvellous cricketer. I, I remember watching him play a long innings. I don't know where or when. I remember his back foot, like a stanchion, yeah. straight and like a stanchion, moving out to everything. 
And he was everything I wanted to be when I was a little boy. Great, he, tall. Funnily enough, you mentioned that, because when he played slow bowling, sometimes he nearly did the splits, because his back leg was static in the creek, and he stretched forward with his first, and sometimes he looks, he was about to do the splits. Very painful. But there <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it is, isn't it? Everyone I've done never done the splits. <laughs> Not intentionally. <laughs> Um, can, can we talk a little bit about your, yourself? Because uh, you didn't, at the start, appear to be sort of in an acting family or anything. How did you get into acting? Oh, it, looking back on it now, there seems to be an inevitable logic to it all, but it wasn't. I really stumbled into it from one thing to another. I, um, uh, somebody got ill and I took over in an amateur production and then someone said, you ought to do it professionally. And I thought, well, shall I try this? And then I got a scholarship to the RADA and it went from there. Yeah, and you got the scholarship by rather just barging in and um, making a nuisance of yourself, so I'm told. Well, so Kenneth Barnes heard you and... You're very well informed. Well, uh, <laughs> I know people at that rather and they say you were making so much noise, he came out and said, what's going on? And said, well, give the chap a test. And having given you the test, he gave you a scholarship. Is that right? It's well, too good to be true. It's not quite true, but what is true is that I'm, I'd, I'd spent the, the night in Stratford-on-Avon um, watching Michael Redgrave play, play King Lear. And looking for somewhere to sleep, I had no money. I slept in a field with a chum. And uh, we'd covered ourselves with what we thought was straw. And it was indeed merely the cosy to a dung pile. <laughs> and so when we'd thumbed our lift into London, we weren't exactly fragrant. But the um, lorry driver dropped us at uh, Euston Station. Very quickly, I should think. It was very quickly. <laughs> and, um, well, it was... A <laughs> Even that was a bit terrifying. It was a, it was a lorry carrying beer barrels. <laughs> and we were standing on, on the beer barrels, <laughs> rattling around. Got off at Euston, aiming for a men's hostel where we, we had indeed had booked a bed. And I passed the RADA. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, yes. And I popped in and I began a conversation with the sergeant, the commissioner of the door, and he, we were looking at a, a bust of Bernard Shaw. <laughs> and the sergeant and I were telling stories about Bernard Shaw. And Sir Kenneth Barnes did come along <laughs> and joined in the storytelling. And I think one of my stories may have intrigued him or something. I think you smelled it. Were you still ponging <laughs> then? <laughs> well, my companion <laughs> said you would be removed from there, O'Toole, by a person with a clothes peg on his nose. <laughs> I, I, I shall have to ask you about Lawrence of Arabia. Before that, though, um, they tell me your bagpipes played a big part in the first film part you got. Is that so? Kidnapped? That's correct. I'd did you have to actually that. play them in the film? I did. I did. Um, it was my friend Peter Finch, another cricket fan. And Peter was playing in um, uh, Stevenson's Kidnapped, and there was a part for Rob Roy McGregor's son, <laughs> who had a bagpipe competition with, um, with the part that Peter was playing. <laughs> and uh, Finchie had said, there's only one actor I know who plays the bagpipe. <laughs> well, this is useful for promising young people who uh, want on uh, the stage, go and learn the bagpipes. You never know, you might get a part from it. Now, Lawrence... Use them as a wicked, of course. <laughs> Have you ever taken them out and played uh, out of the pitch? It might, might put off a few batsmen. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, one or two others turned the part down. 
Did, did they, they not? Uh, uh, weren't you told? They said Finney it's turned it down. Is that... I'm yeah. delighted that they did. Uh, you snapped it up as soon as it well, was off. As soon as it came my way. I felt I was in the slips and the bottle came my way. I thought <laughs> I'd have that one. You, you were on a pretty sandy wicket, though, for a long time, weren't you? Very, and Omar Sharif, another good cricketer. Did you ever have any games in the in desert? In the middle of the desert, in 120 <laughs> degrees, yes, we played cricket to the, to the astonishment <laughs> of the Bedouin, who hadn't the foggiest idea what was going on. D- did they feel for you? Um, n- no, they didn't, but they looked at the ball with great suspicion, and then one of them picked it up and thought, oh, this is a wonderful weapon, and they were flinging at each other. <laughs> Well, well uh, it did take an awful long time to do. I mean, it was a long film. It took a couple of years. Did it? Out of your life? In my life, it became my life. It was more than just a film. It was a huge adventure. I mean, it was everything that a young 28-year-old man could wish, or I could wish, at least, to be out into, into the, to the desert, into the Holy Land, to be working with a, uh, a genius, David Lean, with a, a first-class script by Robert Bolt with a company of superb actors. Quite a few in the company, to say uh, the least. Thousands. I'm going to, I mean, it's, I need a score sheet or I'll leave somebody out, but it really was. Mm. And I was like a young um, matador. Another bull would come in. I'd play with the... Uh, who's this morning? Anthony Quinn. Who's today? Alec Guinness. Who's today? Anthony Quayle. Who's today? Donald Wolfitt. Who's today? Claude Rains. Who's today? Arthur Kennedy. Who's today? Jose Ferrer. It was astonishing. Not Kennedy. a bad 11, that. Not a bad. <laughs> Isn't it extraordinary how many actors... You play uh, and see a lot of them. You mentioned Peter Finch being mad, Trevor Hart. So many of them love playing cricket. We, yes, there is an affinity between this game and... and, and a cricket. We'll think of C. Aubrey Smith, who captained his country. Right. And, yes. but, uh, uh, Only one test match he played and he captained England. There we go, test. and he was an actor. Um, Did you ever play in Hollywood? No, but I've watched that Hollywood, uh, as you know, has a cricket team. But yes. lots and lots of West Indians are now going to live in California. And down in the valley, they're... Um, they're setting up cricket matches. So it may, it may take on. I they mean, call it in America, you know, they call cricket baseball on Valium. On Valium. <laughs> I don't know what that, quite what that means. I don't know. Because but, but, the great David Niven, he played. I mean, you need quite a lot of Valium against Curtley Ambrose, I imagine. And I saw him walking across the thing today, the grass towards me. He's what a terrifying a bowler. I great mean, bowler, if he doesn't he? break down, mm. that's going to be one of the greatest bowlers we've ever seen. You, you heard that um, uh, um, Jonathan Agnew and I disgraced ourselves yesterday by corpsing. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He tried to step over the stumps and just flicked a bail with his, with his right he hand. He tried to do the splits over it, and unfortunately uh, the inner part of his thigh must have just removed the bail. He just, just didn't quite get his leg over. Anyhow, he, he did very well indeed, batting 131 minutes and hit three fours. And um, then we had Lewis playing extremely well for his 47 not out. Agus, do stop it. Uh, and uh, he was joined by De Freitas, who um, was in for 40 minutes, a useful little partnership there. Uh, they put on 35 in 40 minutes, and then he was caught by Dujarf Walsh. Um, Lawrence, uh, always entertaining, batted for 30, 35. <laughs> 35 minutes, hit a four over the week keepers. <laughs> For goodness sake, stop it. Yes, Lawrence. Well, Lawrence. Well. He hit a four over the wee keeper's head. And he was out for the night. And Tuffle came in. him for 12 minutes. And then was caught by Haynes on Patson for two. And there were 54 extras. And he's all out for 419. I've stopped laughing now.
I mean, have you had any experiences on the stage or on the film where you've simply couldn't go on? Oh yes. Can I you... mean, I've had. I've twice. I've been in productions where the curtain have been pulled down slowly down. <laughs> For real? Can you give us an, why, why? What gave Certainly, you? Certainly. The... Um, my, one of my favourite moments was in Brighton uh, in a play which mm. was not very successful and was not going to have a long life. And it was a complicated play and set on um, a strand mm. with the corner of a little beachside cottage and the back of the uh, set was the sea. Mm. Lots and lots of gauzes and mm. lights and complicated things to make <laughs> it look like the sea. And indeed, I entered from the sea with Sylvia Sims in our bathing costumes. And a, a lovely man called Nicholas Meredith, mm. no longer with us, um, a great giggler. And he, his first line was, Good morning, Roger. I was Roger. <laughs> uh, and then he had to erect a deck chair, which is never, ever easy. It's a tricky no, obvious because your fingers yeah. get trapped, and we've all tried to do deck chairs. And, the, and I remember the line very clearly because I heard it for several, seven or eight weeks. Good morning, Roger. There's something about a deck chair. Austerity, poise, and comfort. The austerity is an illusion... The comfort is achieved only with difficulty and the poise we leave to Pamela, which is silly. Well, he would do that line erecting a deck chair. Well, not once did he ever get the deck chair up. Not once. And Nick had a habit of twisting his hair into little spikes. This meant I am not giggling. Then when he coughed, oh, this meant I am certainly not giggling. So there was Nick twisting these huge spikes on his head and oh, oh, coughing about. I was talking about a deck chair. And after a, a, an agonizing long time of not getting the lines out or not getting the deck chair up, he left behind this crumpled mass of timber and canvas <laughs> and said, I'm going to post a letter. And <laughs> was that in the script? No. And, wa and walked into the sea. <laughs> And he was... I, I thought, now, the only thing I could really think was, no, I did not do this. This is not me. This is perhaps the first time in my life. This is not me. I am not responsible. So I hid behind a palm tree. Nick was floundering around amongst the gauzes. Looking for a letterbox and, and Looking for a letterbox in the sea, floundering about amongst the gauzes and electricity, at which point everything went spotty, sparks and flashes... And then onto the beach came a fireman in a brass helmet with, a, with an axe. And, of course, the curtain came very, very slowly down. The producer immediately looked at me and began wagging his finger. But it wasn't me. No. What about on films? Lawrence, well, you have a corpse you. Oh, Lawrence? yes, many times, many times. Retakes? The whole Retakes, yes, but you can't well, see our Who giggles. are the people? It's when you catch people's eye. Who is the, who is the worst giggler then with you in Lawrence? I think uh, um, Anthony Quayle. Really? A very austere yes. actor, a marvellous actor, very nice man. Yes. Unfortunately, died two years ago, didn't he? He did. I, 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 lucky enough to interview him. So, a great corpse, you are, then. Which, which is half the fun of the game, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you, you find yourself, if you're playing anything at all, on this edge of not only um, being yourself, but watching yourself. I mean, you've done a Shakespeare Hamlet, you did a famous Hamlet. What about your... That was funny, too. Why? Uh, I came on stage at the Old Vic to play Hamlet. Yeah. And I'd been down below with the stagehand trying to pick a winner. 
and walked onto the stage and began to... And I knew that Noel Coward was out front, and Noel was sitting in the front row with his, his friends, Joycey and co. And I said, to be or not to be, that is the question. I heard... <laughs> I thought, what is... What? Well, it is noble in the mind to have a... <laughs> slings and arrows, aren't they? <laughs> I thought, what am I doing? And I had a quick glance down to see if the fly was open, which, you know, the cod piece was open or whatever. Yeah. And on and on. And finally, there was real proper laughter throughout the entire audience, and I didn't know why. At which point, Rosemary Harris came on mm -hmm. as Ophelia. <laughs> um, and I put my hand to my forehead and realised I was wearing 20th century horn-rimmed spectacles. <laughs> you forgot to take I forgot to take my specs off. <laughs> And how do I get rid of them? So I said to Rosa, there shall be no more marriages, and I flung the specs at her. It's great. And your, your Macbeth got a few laughs. Was that it, got was a few it, laughs. Was it, was it meant to, or not? Was it meant to? Yes. Um, no. I think, you were, I think you were pulling but, everybody's leg. Not really. What, the chief cause, again, this awful sense of, of, of giggle and the ridiculous, is that um, as, as, as Banquo... Mm. appeared, drenched from head to foot in blood. <laughs> Down the Waterloo Road came an ambulance. <laughs> you could hear it on you the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and I caught Brian Blessed's eye. And I'm afraid we were both giggling. Uh, it, it, it's exactly what we needed. Uh, it? It's absolutely tremendous. Well, the great thing is you've had fun all the time. All the time, and I hope it continues. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Wonderful stories and a little treat in there as well as we heard the Lego for instance again. It still makes me laugh nearly 30 years on. Peter, of course, is not the only film star we've had in the commentary box over the years. Let's have a taster of the interview with Daniel Radcliffe, the Harry Potter star that we recorded on his 18th birthday. Everyone, I think, in the tabloids especially, expected me to have some massive extravagant bash with lots of other celebrities. And that's so not my thing. So just to come here for a day was a bit of a dream, really, because I've never been to a cricket match before. Not but you've been following cricket, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. No, I've been, I got into it, um, actually. Most, most people got into it with the ashes we won, and I got into it with the ashes we were whitewashed. <laughs> because, um, just simply because of Paul Collingwood's double hundred at Adelaide, which is also the reason he is my favourite player as well. So what about the game, then, is, is doing it uh, for, for you, Daniel? What, what, what do you... OK, Collingwood's batting, but what, what about the game itself? I love the fact that... I love the fact that it's, it's a very specific sport. It's not, every, it's not like football where everybody seems to be into it. It's also the fact that there are so many rules and complications, and some of them aren't really necessary, but I just enjoy them. I enjoy the sort of pedantry of cricket as much as the play. Because your game is Quidditch, isn't it? I mean, that's, oh, that's, yes. That seems quite complicated. <laughs> it is. I don't know the rules fully. I, probably, I was asked the other day on television um, some technicality, and I didn't know, and I got laughed at by the presenter. It was horrible. Sort of football and hockey on, on broomsticks, is it? It's a combination of that and basketball and lots of... Apparently, in a, in a sort of Harry Potter convention they had in America, they worked out a way of doing a sort of grounded version of, of Quidditch, oh, which I would not pay to see. But I, I, don't, I just don't know how it could possibly work. How did you film it? Oh, I couldn't possibly reveal that information. Um, no, it's, it's, no it's, it's, it's very, very, very clever computer-generated stuff, and they put me on a pole on a broom. To be honest, it's incredibly painful to film. If anybody has ever sat on a bicycle and had their, their sort of legs, uh, feet taken off the pedals and leant forward, it's, uh, it's quite... Very a, nasty. Yeah, it is quite, yes. 
And it probably happens quite often, does it? Uh, not so much anymore because he stopped writing it. I think my, I think I'm probably the only child in the whole of the, the UK who is pleased not to have Quidditch in the Harry Potter books. <laughs> hey, you're 18 now. You can stop saying child. I can. You're absolutely right. Yes, I forgot I was 18 when I woke up this morning, and then I opened the presents, which was great. <laughs> Now, are you quite an obsessive sort of fellow? I mean, to got so quickly into cricket, are you someone who, I don't know, who Googles a lot? And uh, will you be interested in the, in, in, the, in the history of cricket and things? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the other great thing about cricket. It's it's it, it is it's a it's a pretty old sport, and it's there is so much history to it, and so much long-standing rivalries and and the history between the various players, let alone the teams. And so, no, it's it that's that's another thing that attracts me to it, I suppose. Yeah. The interview with Daniel and so many more from the TMS archive are waiting on BBC Sounds. Just subscribe to make sure you don't miss a thing. The TMS Podcast. Classic view from the boundary. Alan Shearer and Ian Wright are in my kitchen. Mm. What's going on here? The all-new Match of the Day Top 10 Podcast. Answering a huge football question every week. This has not been easy, has it? Like the Top 10 Premier League Strikers. Firstly, I think it's really hard to have Shearer anywhere near the Top 10. (laughs) The Match of the Day Top 10 Podcast. Only available on BBC Sounds.